My routine on Sunday mornings typically is the same, especially when I'm preaching. Set the alarm and get up quite a bit earlier than normal, maybe 4.30 or 5. And today was no different. My alarm went off uh, a couple different times. Um, but uh, I, I woke and it was, it was really kind of fun. I woke up, the window was open, there was a breeze and I heard a noise, a sound I've not heard in a long time. The sound of rain. Wasn't that wonderful? Uh, what a great blessing for us. We really need rain in this area. There's a scripture verse uh, that speaks about the function and nature of rain. Uh, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says this in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. You know, one of the things that I love about God's word is that um, you'll be reading along uh, at different times and, and, and something strikes you. You see a connection between God's word and the world around you. Or you see a connection between God's word and your own life. You read it and say, yeah, that's, that's true. That's the way things are. Or, yes, that's true. That's the way things should be. And, and you see it time and time again, and whether it's um, uh, a prophet or one of Paul's letters or the Gospels, some sort of metaphor or simile in, in, in poetry or a parable like the one that was read just a minute ago. And, and you know, um, just as the land, the, the, the Bible says, just as the land and vegetation around us need rain to flourish and to grow, uh, just as it needs moisture to come alive and grow and be fruitful, we know that, right? Ask any farmer. So do we, it says, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to read and to hear and to study and embrace and receive God's word. It's, it's essential for us to grow and to come alive spiritually and to be fruitful for the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt, maybe you feel this way today, have you ever felt stagnant spiritually? Kind of stuck in the mud, spinning your wheels? Have you ever felt far from God? Maybe full of doubts, disconnected, maybe angry or possibly apathetic? Well, chances are, if you felt that way, and I felt that way at times, if you feel that way, chances are that your heart and your mind are not consistently and receptively seeking and soaking in God's word and truth in your life. Because that's how God has designed us. Just as he's designed this world with a need for moisture to sustain and grow life, so are we created with a need for God's word and truth to sustain spiritual life and grow. Again, you ask any farmer, you cannot control when the rain comes, much as we'd like to to be able to do that. But we can control access to God. We have access to God's word on a daily basis. We can soak in it. We can let it change us. We can let it change our lives. And the reason I bring this up today is because we're starting uh, to continue our sermon series, Relationship 101, and we're coming to a very, very familiar story in Scripture. I mean, who hasn't heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Practically everybody in our culture has heard it and kind of give you the basic premise. And what can often happen with something that's very, very familiar to us, like this story, is that we can kind of kind of say, oh, yeah, I know that one. I, I know the key takeaway. I've heard it a hundred times. And we kind of just kind of turn our heart and mind off. And, and God's word falls like water on a concrete. It just kind of runs off and doesn't accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. 
And so today, as we look at this familiar story, I encourage you to keep your mind and your heart open and to kind of ask God, what, what do you have for me today? Because we're looking at the question of how am I to relate to the people around me, to the neighbors around me in a way that honors God as we look at this theory, this idea uh, of a concept of relationships. It was an ordinary day of commuting in New York City. A young man named Cameron Hollowpeter was making his way on a platform of a New York subway. He was a 20-year-old film student at Harvard University, and all of a sudden something went horribly wrong. His, his, something went wrong in his brain, and his body was under, went into this, this violent seizure. He, he fell to the ground, was thrashing around. He struggled to get back upon his feet. He began to stumble along the edge of the platform, and then he fell. He fell onto the railway bed. And just then, the rumbling of an approaching train began to shake the station. No one managed to capture the moment on video, but we can imagine how the people in the subway responded. Some turned away, their eyes clenched against the horror. They did not want to see what was surely going to happen to this young man. Other commuters stood frozen in a sense of of fear and shock and utter helplessness. They could not believe what was happening in front of their eyes. Some were in such a hurry to get where they needed to go that they missed the whole thing altogether. In a matter of a few seconds, this young man with dreams of becoming a Hollywood producer is going to meet an unthinkably violent end, and no one could stop it. No one would stop it, except for one man who did. A 50-year-old construction worker named Wesley Autry did the unthinkable. He crossed the boundary of horror that withered all the others in the subway. He pulled his feet from the concrete shoes of helplessness that froze others. He stepped over the high curb of hurry that, despite being busy, taking his two daughters home before going to work. And this middle-aged black man from Harlem, who had nothing in common with a 20-year-old white man from Harvard, chose to do what no one else had seen elected to do. He, He acted. He helped. He strode across the subway platform. He jumped down into the ditch and he threw his body over Cameron's bloodied, writhing body. And he held him fast against the ground while the subway thundered over them. He then pulled him to safely, to safety. Later, when he was interviewed about the incident, Autry said that when he saw the headlights of the number one train, he knew he had to make a split second decision. I don't feel like I did something spectacular. I just saw someone who needed help. I did what I felt was right. I mean, you're supposed to come to people's rescues, right? There's something about stories like this that really inspire us, right? We, we, that's why they're put on the front page of newspapers. That's why news broadcasts lead with stories like this. That's why CNN and other websites put them up high on their websites. There's something about the story of Autry and Cameron and stories like this that are that's both inspiring, right, to us as human beings, but also sometimes a little bit uh, convicting. It's like there's this law of love at work in the world. And and everybody instinctively knows uh, there's a law of profound regard for the well-being of others, which if we could all live by, would make this world such a much better place. And so we hunger for a better world, and we yearn to know our part in making things a little bit better. In this regard, maybe we're a little bit like this man, this expert in the law, who asked Jesus a question in Luke 10. 
Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered a question of his own. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Do you see the conflicting impulses at work in this man? On the one hand, he wants to do the right thing. He knows what the right thing is to do. Help your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Serve others. Step out of your comfort zone. Take your risk. On the one hand, he's like that. He's like, on the other hand, he's like one of those commuters staying on the subway platform. He's he's like any of us. If somebody came up to you and asked you the question, would you like love to be the motivating force in the world? You say, well, of course I would. Sign me up. But then a second impulse would probably move within you, just as it did for this man here. And the second impulse would be, how does this affect me? Okay. What would this look like in practice? What would it require of me? What would it cost me specifically to live my life like that? To have love be the motivating force in any and every situation. I mean, surely you're not talking about jumping in front of a train for a stranger or something crazy like that. There have to be boundaries, right? Limits upon what I would be required to do. So, he asks, tell me, who's my neighbor? Jesus goes on to tell the rest, to tell a story. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here in this story, we have the man laying in the ditch in the road on the side of the road and two men walk by they're both religious guys there's a priest and there's a levite now since they were religious men they would have been trained in the old testament they would have known that it's very clear that god's people are to treat others differently than those around them very specific instructions about how to treat widows and orphans and the poor and the oppressed the blind the lame the sick the elderly even how to, train, how to treat those who are foreigners in your midst. They would have been more familiar with those laws and requirements than the average commuter walking down this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They would have known Micah 6.8, which says, He has shown you what is good, O man. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. They would have known all of this, And yet they do not stop and help the man. Why? It's not completely clear why they did what they did. We can infer, and often we will infer, like, well, maybe they are in a hurry to go somewhere. Maybe they had to to go preach at a worship service. They didn't want to be late. Uh, Maybe they were afraid of touching someone who might be dead. Maybe he looked at if they touched a dead man, then they would be unclean ceremonially. Maybe they looked at him and realized he was a Samaritan. They were Jewish. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. There was kind of a lot of bigotry and prejudice between the two groups. Maybe they felt helpless. 
Perhaps they looked at the man and thought, I walk by people like this every day. I can't save everybody. And maybe like the old Bruce Hornsby song that said, that's just the way it is. Maybe that's what they thought. I don't know. Maybe their hearts were just hardened because they saw so much need and hurt and pain in their ministry. And it was just overwhelming to them. That's why what happens next in the story is so powerful. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then they put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave, him, uh, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So the Samaritan guy doesn't just help the guy in a moment, but he goes the extra mile. He says, I'll cover expenses. I'll be back to check on him. He, he, he goes beyond what even the average person would expect. The average good person, quote, would expect. You know, it's interesting because Jesus is so honest in this parable about, about how expensive and how costly true compassion can be for us. Because getting close to people who are hurting and getting involved in their lives is always going to cost you something. Investing in people who are in pain will take us off our normal schedule. Working with people who have wounds invariably is going to get messy. It will inconvenience us to get down in the ditch. It will cost us money, time, resources. It may subject us to entanglements and commitments that go on for a long time. It means we must walk the way of Jesus Christ. To deny the very self which we often work so hard to protect or maintain. To follow the example of Jesus and live like he did. You see, Jesus, in a very real sense, is the cosmic great Samaritan. He came to earth to attend to the needs of a bleeding world that mainly snubbed their noses at him when he came. And God could have rightly set a a limit on what he would do for us, he would have been justified in doing that. But Jesus showed that the law of love is larger than the law of limits. And he crossed the, crossed the, the vast gulf between holiness and sinful humanity. And he jumped down onto the tracks. He threw his body over the world and offered us a love without limits. You know, human pain can be so horrible that we can sometimes just close our eyes to it because it's overwhelming. We're not sure how to be involved or what to do, and so we just pass on by. And then every day there are things that we can do to help people with needs. We can pray for them. We can comfort them. We can lift them up. We can serve a meal. We can mow a lawn. We can spend time with them. And this goes for anybody and everybody. We can't set limits on who we help. We're to serve even the people who irritate us, right? The ones who, quote, don't deserve it. Because that's the way of Jesus Christ. Complete and total service and love. Indiscriminately. Time and time again through the cross, Jesus shows us this that all people are worthy of his care and his love and his sacrifice.
And we are to use the resources that we have been given, time, talent, and treasure, to serve others and to love others as Jesus has first loved us. The expert in the law asks a couple different questions here. He leads with, who, how do I inherit eternal life? He closes with, who is my neighbor? But there's another critical question that he did not ask, but it's inferred that he knew it was there. He did not really like or want the answer to it. And that question is, will I be a person who is primarily ruled by a sense of love or by a sense of limits? God's word here is in Luke 10, and it's, it's been given to us today. God has sent it to us. It's raining down on us to bring life and change and growth and spiritual nourishment. So let's receive it today, okay? Let's, let's live it. Let's love our neighbors as Jesus Christ has first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. <laughs> and Lord, we pray that the story of the Good Samaritan, even though it's very familiar, and even though we know the takeaway, that would not just run off us like water onto concrete, that it would soak into our hearts, that we'd have your perspective, that we'd have your heart for people, and that it would lead us to action. Help us, Father, to be like the Good Samaritan, to be like you, Lord Jesus. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand? Would you respond to the word we just received?